it's a billion dollar question of like, how do you really monetize a product online? I mean, there's so many different ways and depending on the product you have. And even then you're still testing, you're still finding out which ones are converting better, which audiences are converting better. I think every business has to go through that first stage to really learn their audience before they can get to a level of being like, okay, I'm going to work with this big influencer. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Tara Electra. Tara is the CEO and co-founder of the leading Los Angeles-based Unruly Agency, representing over 100 models and influencers with a combined reach of over 500 million consumers worldwide. Uh, guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation with Tara. I can't wait to get into some of the meats here. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here. Thank you for asking me to come on. Definitely. Yeah. Saw the story, knew we had to have a conversation. So let's rewind the clock and go back in time because obviously when you were 12 or 13 years old, you probably were not thinking that you would end up doing this with the rest uh, or with this portion of your career. So so let's talk about 12, 13 year old Tara. Where'd you grow up? What were your parents like? Uh, Did you enjoy school? All that good stuff. Yeah, let's go back there. I need to try and remember where I was at 13 and 12. Basically, well, I was, grew up in a, like a middle-class household in the Valley of Los Angeles. I definitely had like a father that was a very hard worker, so I didn't really have him home much because he was always working long hours. He he managed and owned hair salons. Oh, okay, so, so he's an entrepreneur. Yeah. So he, him and my mother flew out here from England. So I don't really have any family really out in California. So kind of grew up with them coming from a whole other country. My dad's Persian. So he kind of flew out, met my mom in England and they came out here together when they were 21. And then, yeah, so he was always working long hours. My mom also worked. So I kind of grew up really hearing from my dad constantly. You have to work very hard to make money, which I don't fully now believe is the right way to kind of condition your mindset because I'm constantly thinking, oh, the only way I make money is if I work hard, um, which is why I think I work myself to death. <laughs> but but yeah, and then kind of grew up really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I think like every kid hopped around from a million different ideas of what I wanted to do, but I've always been very attracted to the entertainment industry My dad had a hair salon in Beverly Hills, so I'd like sit in his car and drive out here in the backseat and look at all the mansions and see the light out here. And I've just been attracted to the world of like all those celebrities and he would have some celebrity clients. So I met like very big agents when I was younger and one of them I sat with kind of gave me advice on the whole industry. So left there and I think I had to have been around like 13 left there I remember I was actually yeah I feel like I was probably very young walking down Rodeo by myself to go to this meeting (laughs) to sit with him in his huge office and just get advice about the industry and then 
but I didn't really fully know in what way I would work in it. So yeah, it's kind of a little background. Yeah. Did you, did you like school? Definitely not. <laughs> did your parents like that you didn't like school or were they, no. like, were they pushing you to be like, Hey, you got to go to college. You got to go do this thing. Yeah. My mom's always been like the more like laid back one. And then my dad is very traditional. Like he, like I said, he's Persian. So every Persian parent wants you to be like a doctor, a lawyer or something in that category. And so they're more strict on how they view your success. So my dad was working too much to really be able to parent me as much as he would like to. And then my mom was more like laid back, but did work. So she wasn't really pressuring me to be good in school, but I would definitely hear it nonstop from my dad when he had the time to look at like my grades and things like that. I got held back when I was in second grade because I did whatever I wanted class I'd always pretend like I had to go to the bathroom but then I would just like play around while every kid was in class and then my other friends would say they have to go to the bathroom to come with me so I would basically like lead all these kids to do work that they weren't supposed to do so my uh, second grade teacher literally told my parents like she's a leader and but she's not paying attention and I feel like if she's a leader then she's not going to feel good once she gets older Thing that she's behind people in their education. So that was her reasoning for saying I should get held back. My parents were new to this whole idea of getting held back because it doesn't exist where they're from. So they're like, yeah, sure. So that kind of definitely affected me for years, but I think is definitely the reason why I had to, well, I feel like I have to prove myself because then I was always behind everyone else my age, which definitely mm. like lit a fire under my ass. Sure. So yeah. You know, it's good that it affected you that way because I think it affects a lot of other people in the opposite way. It, it makes them think less of themselves and makes them think that they can't do as much. And instead you took the mentality of like, well, let me show you what I can do. So did you end up going, did you end up going to, to college after high school then? I felt like I sh had to, cause I was like, okay, that's what you have to do to be successful. So I did go okay. and then like very quickly. I think it was a little weird for me because my dad owned hair salons and then my sister went and did hair and got her cosmetology license. And so my dad always told me like, get your license so that way you have something to fall back on. So when I was literally in high school, I went to cosmetology after school. So I got my license for that, which then right out of high school, I could, I had a job doing hair. And so I made money and then I tried to go to college too, but then I was not focused in college. And I just naturally was more drawn to just actually doing hair to like make money and like understanding the business. My dad owns the hair salon. So I got to really learn the business behind it. I was never really like passionate about doing hair. So I slowly started focusing on like how to market his salon better and how to do more ads and things like that and building his website. So I slowly got drawn to like the marketing side of uh, the business. So definitely was always sitting on my laptop at the front desk while people were walking in trying to get their hair done, just figuring out that type of stuff, which probably led me to marketing in general. So, so then after how long were you were like, ah, I'm not doing this school thing anymore? I think you always feel like guilty to admit that to yourself because you don't want it to be the wrong decision. Sure. Um, but probably after a year of trying different classes, maybe even two years, like I think I went for around like six months left and then felt guilty, applied again for the second year and then went again and then fell out again. So I like was trying to force myself, but I clearly just wasn't. 
happy about it. Uh, when, when you were leaving school at that time, was, was there any pushback like from your parents or anything like that? Or were they pretty much already like, all right, just do what you want? Definitely. Like my dad was always pushing me to stay in college. But then once I, I was making my own money too, by that time, like I said, I was able to work right out of college. I was already working right out of college, right up out of high school. And I was already working in high school at a yogurt store down the street too. So like I always was working like since 16. So I was already like making my own money and I moved, I lived in my own place at 18. So it was kind of like he couldn't really tell me to do it. Yeah. Uh, he was obviously wanting me to, but. And what year was this? What did you, what year did you graduate high school? It's a whole thing. I don't really remember because I was behind. I dropped out of high school in ninth grade and went to homeschool. And then I like passed two years in one year. Like it was like a whole thing. I don't really remember what year I graduated, to be honest. I definitely had a very unusual like school experience. Yeah. Never school. That obviously didn't matter in terms of being able to do what you do now. So let's fast forward a little bit. Drop out of school and you are working at the hair salon, start getting an interest in marketing. What happened? I basically was on the internet all the time on social media. And I just distinctly remember, I always say, I remember just being on social media way too many hours a day. And I was like, if I'm on here and I'm addicted to it like this, I have to figure out how to make money from it. And I just remember having that thought. And it was before influencers were even a thing. I was like, say, so what, what year was that? I would have to figure out, I'm so bad at timelines, to be honest. I would have to have just pulled it out of my ass if I say a year, because I really don't know. Probably like seven, seven or probably seven or eight years ago. I was probably okay, like, yeah. so like beginning stages of like yeah. pretty, pretty early social media days, like 2012, 2013, 2014, exactly. around there. Yeah. 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 And so I didn't really know anyone making money on the internet, but... I knew that you could start to figure out how to make money on the internet in different ways. I'm not sure what the ways were to monetize back then, but I just remember thinking like, I have to figure it out if I'm, if I love doing this and I'm on it all the time. Cause I don't think people really looked at like, okay, if I'm addicted to something or I keep doing something, I should make money from it. So I'm happy I had that thought. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm clearly like, it's not like I'm doing anything really productive other than looking at photos and videos, but I knew even then, like, okay, if I'm on this as much as I am, I should figure out how to make money from it. So then meeting some friends that worked with some influencers, and I kind of learned what influencers were. So I pitched myself and that was like very early stages when influencers were even becoming, no one really knew what they were worth or the level of success they would have. But I met someone that had their own like LLC that they called an agency, but it was really just him with an LLC. And I was like his first hire. And I basically pitched him to let me be his assistant. And it was at first I was upset by it, but it actually ended up benefiting me a lot because he was, he only wanted to hang out with influencers or people with a big following and just kind of hang out. And he was a really good networker, but he didn't actually like like, yeah, work on the deals he actually had. He got a lot of opportunities because he was a great networker, but he never went to the next step of like yeah. following through on what he promised. So he really threw every single thing on me. Yeah. And so I had to like literally Google how to make pitch decks and proposals. And mm. 
I became like the whole project manager for this huge <laughs> deal that he ended up getting. So I, it was for Lyft. On, actually, it was the app Lyft. Back then, we didn't know it was going to be as big, obviously. But he got the deal for Lyft because he was friends with one of the influencers Lyft wanted to work with. Mm. And so he was, like I said, he was very good networker, very good pitching like what we could do and making it so elaborate, but really it was just me and him behind the scenes. I'm like, felt so much pressure in the meetings. Like, how are we going to do all this? <laughs> I was like, we're going to do all these things. And then the, who, are we actually going to do them? And it, it almost made me feel like I had to do them to make sure that we followed through and made these people feel like we were good because the meetings we were going into were crazy. And so I then ended up being like the full project manager, which I didn't even know what that was at the time. I just did everything. And I realized now as a project manager for the whole entire deal, and it was a, a, lo- a year long deal. We got them half a million downloads through influencers. So we had like every single big name influencer posting like, do you want to down or do you want to get $50 on a rideshare app called Lyft download uh, Lyft and use my code? So we just got so many downloads. At one time, we even got like Kendall Jenner and Jessica Alba and a lot of big names. So mm. it, got, it was cool. But then yeah. one, once Lyft got enough downloads, at the end of that year, they sent a whole like thank you letter to him for his company. And then was like, okay, we don't, we no longer need this. We're getting organic downloads at this point. Because it was a huge marketing push. We got them a ton of audience. So then he kind of was like, well, what do I do? That was the way we were making money. And Mind you, I was only getting paid like very small amount. Yeah, we were running the whole thing. So from that day, I was like, he no longer obviously wanted to pay me because I was just huge income. And I was like, it's all good. I'm going to leave from here and figure it out. I remember that day. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I was like, I think there's times in your life, even if you're scared, you're just like, screw it. I'm going to figure it out. And you have to just trust that you will figure it out. And I just left that day not having any income and was like, I'm going to figure it out from here. So, yeah. And then that's what you did. Yeah. What was the first step for Unruly? Meaning like, was it that you found a brand that needed some marketing? Were you initially focused on getting some influencers to say yes to working with you? Like what, when you left and you had no income and you didn't have a business and you didn't even have an LLC opened up, what, like, what did you do? What did you do first? Yeah. So there was a huge chunk of time between the time I was working with that previous business, that okay. brand the lip campaign from the time I opened up and really there was about like five to six years between okay. that or maybe five. I think. In that kind of break. I, yeah. So I left there and basically just started building my own agency and like it's called Electric Mind. I put down like I made my own website, created all my pitch decks and started pitching myself to brands. I basically started working with like e-commerce brands and the influencers that I was that I met through the Lyft campaign that I kind of because during that whole process, I started bringing talent to to Lyft myself through just going out and pitching influencers. So some of these influencers I became close with at that point. So they asked me to manage their brand deals. And then from there, I pitched myself to Insomniac, which is a huge events company that runs like EDC. They run Rolling Loud in LA, Hard Sum, Nocturnal. They run like hundreds and hundreds of events all over the world. And I basically pitched myself for their first influencer campaign. And they were doing very traditional marketing. Like they were literally still putting flyers up around the city for their events. 
And I basically was like, please let me do your influencer marketing. Like didn't even test it yet. And I basically begged them. I got paid barely anything. And at the time I just wanted to prove myself, which I realized later what you take to begin with will be what you keep. Like it's really hard to move up from what you got. So I had to constantly prove my value. If I actually just knew my value, I probably would have gotten paid way more because what I was doing was worth way more. Yeah. But long story short, pitched myself and uh, my agency to them to do their influencer campaign and really just made a whole type of marketing that wasn't existing then where I was getting influencers to do pre like campaigns leading up to the event of a festival around like they just got their tickets in the mail. They unboxed their tickets. Like I set up this whole campaign and then I was like, Okay, and then on this date, you're going to post what you're wearing to EDC. And then they started posting like, just bought this outfit, wearing this to EDC. Are you going? Like really organic posting throughout the you know, months leading up to the events to really increase ticket sales and campaign awareness for the festivals. And when they first brought me on for EDC, they were under around like 30,000 ticket sales. And then I basically did over 50 million in audience on that first experience. I brought them very large scale, well-known talent and it actually got in the press because some of the talent I brought were very, you know, large and they were showing their outfits in the press. Like, oh, this person wore this to EDC and it started to make it kind of look like a Coachella because mm. EDC got very ravey and they didn't really have mainstream talent going to their events. And then I started these campaigns and experiences and bringing all these celebrity influencers together. And I put them in a group, got a hotel to sponsor, having all the influencers there and posting for the hotel, got them party buses and started implementing brands into the experience for them to post in order for me to monetize more. And so I did this for EDC and a bunch of their festivals for about three years. But when EDC, but the following year after me doing this campaign, like I said, the first year they were under 30,000 ticket sales. The second year I sold out, they sold out. And then the third year they added 50,000 more ticket sales and then sold out again. So I believe that it was a huge part of making their culture a little bit more cool. Obviously, they will never give me the numbers and show me anything to show yeah. the value. That I did, but it definitely got to a point and still is at that point where talent constantly reaches out to me. It's like, oh, I want to go to EDC because they knew me as the person that helps them get there. And I created such a good cultural experience and groups of friends that kind of came together and had this really fun experience. So it kind of leveled up my company a lot more and had opportunities for way more festivals outside of Insomniac that were reaching out to me and I started doing festival campaigns for them. So that was all during the time before I really. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. That was all during the time before Unruly. Yeah. So what was the shift? Why make the change? Well, it's hard. I liked doing the festival stuff, but at the same time, every time I had a realization that every time I built up a brand or something, then the brand no longer wanted to pay the influencers for what they brought. And it happened with, I saw it happen with, we worked with Postmates during that time too, and it happened with Postmates. And then fast forward, it happened with EDC where they were like, okay, we don't really need, think we need to pay for this anymore. We don't want to like pay for this whole experience, pay me and for the experience that it costs for these influencers. So I really saw very quickly that brands, once they get what they need from influencers, they're kind of like, okay, peace, we're cool now. You can come if you want to, but I don't need to pay you for your value. Mm. And that really drove me crazy because I'm definitely number one friends with a lot of these people and helping them monetize. And then it also affects me too, because then I can't monetize with what they bring. And I obviously see how valuable influencers are for any brand because they really bring credibility and awareness to a product. I think a lot of times people think that own businesses, that influencers need to convert like a dollar, like dollar sales right away on that first post in order for them to be valuable. But they're not really understanding the brand recognition they're getting on such a higher level and being like associated with these people's building their credibility and awareness. And that's really what influencers are. Unless you're using micro influencers and doing like pushing traffic behind them through ad buys, and that's a different way to monetize through influencers. But when you're working with like macro celebrity influencers, there's a whole different value. And I don't think the market was there yet to really understand that. So it was getting harder and harder to really make that much income with macro influencers unless I was a part of some huge, well-known agency that would understand what I'm bringing. That, not that would understand what I was bringing, but actually already got those huge ad buys campaigns. So I was just not in a point in my career to work with that high of level of brands that were actually paying the huge money. So I just constantly found other ways to monetize. Like I, I built businesses around influencers, like building them e-commerce stores. And then realized that was a whole mess because never, it's very hard to find an influencer that wants to marry themselves to a product. And that's why Kylie Jenner crushes it with her makeup is because every time she releases a new product, if you look at her story, she literally makes like 30 stories about that one lipstick, showing it like on her wrist, showing it on her lips, going, this is what I wear with it. Like she goes in on promoting her products. No kidding. And her 
a lot of these influencers are used to getting like, I get my 8K story post and I'm done. They want like right. the quick gratification. They don't want to really build a brand long term unless they're getting paid. So it's really hard to build an e-commerce store around them where it's like, okay, you can own this product. Like let's, it's going to take longer, but you need to build it. But this is something that's going to make you way more over the, right. over right. the time. So I saw that whole world was hard. I, I really have literally been in every way to monetize an influencer. That sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> so now with Unruly, you have over a hundred influencers, models that you work with in the agency. And I'm sure you can access a network of infinitely more than that if it if you really were working on a campaign like that but who's a good client for you and how do people typically work with you yeah so definitely have much more influencers outside of unruly but when i came to unruly it was very like synergistic to what i've already learned in the past so it really made sense for the new company and it really was just a change of name, but I took all the like talent I was already working with and brought them here for anyone that wanted to monetize in the ways that we offer at Unruly. But I feel I have a plethora of great talent, but you know, someone that always comes to mind is obviously Tana Mojo. And that's just because I've known her for about like seven years. And I just really think she she's grown a very significant career since I've met her. And she's really just stayed the same as far as like she, her personality has not changed. She's still like such a great person and just wonderful to work with. But I have a lot of other ones too. So who's spending money with you guys then? Like if you're talking to a group of business owners or people that are, that have budgets uh, for marketing and maybe they haven't considered influencer marketing, what types of, of businesses or brands would you recommend taking the plunge? I think once you start getting to the level of like a, a macro influencer, because I think that's where I specialize in, I'm not really focused on micro influencers. Mm. If anything, I constantly am like getting bigger and bigger influencers. So it's just a whole different ball game when you're working with celebrity talent. As I mentioned, they do get paid a lot more, but at the same time, I do think their value is just getting given to a brand in a whole different way. So you have to be at a certain stage in your company before you even open the doors to that level. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. For an example, if you're like a new startup starting out and you're like, oh, I really want X big influencer on my brand and it's going to change my the whole game of my new e-com business I just started or something like that. It's just not. So, but then at the same sense, say you're an e-commerce brand that's been already producing very high income and you've already figured out the back end of like, collecting traffic or putting cookies on your website and things like that, yeah. then I would say if you're producing revenue and you have the money to spend to open up to macro influencers, I think it's a smart thing because at that point you get to utilize a macro influencer to like hold your product or create content with your product. And then you get to take that image and push it across like Instagram sponsored ads and put it on your website and put it on your Instagram. Sure. And that just now makes me think Say you're like, I can't even think of anything else other than a water bottle for some reason, but say you're like a water bottle company and now I'm looking to buy a water bottle. If I go to your website and I see the celebrity that I think is I recognize and then I go to another one that I don't see a celebrity I recognize, I'm more likely going to buy the one of the celebrity I recognize because now it has more credibility. It feels bigger. So I just think it really builds credibility for brands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of almost the same pitch that we give to all the people that we work with because we book a lot of people on 
It's kind of like almost like podcast influencer marketing. We book a lot of people on podcasts, YouTube channels, blogs, newsletters, and stuff like that. And that's kind of one of the main things that we focus in on where it's like, this probably shouldn't be your first marketing spend, like your first marketing dollars. But if you're already spending money on marketing, you know, your backend's already good and you know your numbers, then we're a really fantastic layer to add yeah. on top of your other marketing channels, which sounds like, sounds like it's kind of the same pitch that you guys are, are talking about. Exactly. Because some people just, they think social media and then they think like, okay, influencers holding my product. But there's just so many more layers of marketing. Right. Like, and, it, and it's all different depending on what business you're in. So there's just so many more pieces to the puzzle. And I think that it just comes down to, obviously, it's a science being able to monetize any product or thing online. So it's like it's a billion dollar question of like, how do you really monetize a product online? I mean, there's so many different ways and depending on the product you have. And even then you're still testing, you're still finding out which ones are converting better, uh, which audiences are converting better. I think every business has to go through that first stage to really learn their audience before yeah. they can get to a level of being like, okay, I'm going to work with this big influencer. Tara, I got to ask you this question because I've asked like hundreds of people this question. This show is called Build Your Network. And this is going to become one of the staple questions of the show. Curious to hear your answer. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two is more important and why? It's a hard one because <laughs> they're both important. That's what makes it the question, right? Yeah, it's such a good question. That's a very hard one. I'm curious now to know which one more people have said. Gosh. I'll tell you after you give me an answer. Yeah, I I guess I would assume everyone says who because I think I've heard that a lot during my life. But then I would say that's not always true because once you get in the door, it's about what you should know. So, but maybe who is more important just because at least it gets you in the door. Yeah, what's funny is <laughs> that when I originally started asking the question, I thought that everybody was just going to agree that it was who. And then we would have this conversation around relationships because the show is all about networking. And and then just to, to my surprise, it just didn't end up happening that way. There's a ton of people that came on and they were like, oh, it's about like what you know is more important, what you know is more important. And then other variations, like it's who you what you know, or it's, you know, not who, but who knows you or whatever. But at the end of the day, I, after doing like 900 of these interviews, I think it's still, I think it's still the who because kind of what you mentioned, but also... I find that my what always increases exponentially based on the who that I'm around. Um, I don't find that to be true for the opposite. Like if you read a book, it doesn't necessarily increase your network. But if you get around That's people who are like really good at what you want to be good at, they can save you years of learning curves and mistakes and just by spending an afternoon with them and grabbing some lunch, you know what I mean? And, so and, and then they can open a door that could potentially lead to a new opportunity. And, and of course you have to be competent. You have to be good at what you do and you have to perfect your skill, your skill set. I'm not arguing that you shouldn't do any of those things, but at the end of the day, I think the who is always super helpful in helping me sharpen my what significantly. That's so true. That's such a good point because there's definitely like you could be like reading a ton of books and learning a bunch about an industry, but then you don't even know like what blocks you have in your mind that are stopping you from leveling up. Yeah. And then the moment there could be another person that isn't studying all that stuff, thinking you have to do X, Y, and Z to get there and so hard on themselves. because They're like, no, I learned that it's this way. And then there's this other person that isn't learning all that, goes and hangs out with this multimillionaire with some successful agency. And they're like, oh, like they're just spending a day with them and seeing the way that they think. 
Yep. They're yep. going to learn so much quicker, like, oh, that's how they do it, or that's the way they're thinking. They're going to unlock different parts of their mindset on how you get there way quicker than someone that's just like reading the book of all these different things. Because sometimes I think there is such thing as having like too much information. Totally. And that's definitely something that's held me back as I, like I said from the beginning of this podcast, I always felt like I had to be a very hard worker. So with that came having to learn so much. And I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> so in some senses, I always felt like I had to know so many things in order to produce a business or do certain things in my career, which sometimes can hold you back because then you think that there's all these things you have to do before you right. can be successful. So yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Advi <laughs> advice is really nuanced too. Like just like just because it says it in a book doesn't mean that it applies to your direct situation. If you spend an afternoon with somebody who's been there, done that, walked the road before you, and they are where you want to be, you can kind of explain the situation and problem that you've been stewing on for four months, that person can go, oh yeah, that happened to me once. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. And it's like, oh, oh, well, okay. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like yeah, mark that one off is done. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should have asked this like four months ago. Well, yeah. Anatara, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. I would love to do one of these in person at some point in LA or in Vegas, either either one. But no, I appreciate you coming on. I think covered a lot of really great things. Uh, before we go, if somebody's listening right now and they're like, I need what you have, how can they get in touch with you? How can they hire your agency? Yeah, so you can get in touch with me. My Instagram is at T-A-R-U-H, so three H's. And then my agency is at Unruly Agency. And yeah, that's basically it. Yes, Tara Electra. Gotcha. Sweet. So that's Tara, T-A-R-U-H, at T-A-R-U-H-H-H -H -H over on Instagram. Go check out some of the stuff that Tara's posting. Get in touch with her agency if you have any needs for uh, influencer marketing inside of your service. And if you don't know if you could use some influencer marketing, then get in touch with their agency and I'm sure that they will help guide you in the right direction. So Tara, thanks. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you, Travis. I definitely love your podcast and I appreciate you for bringing me on. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.